All right, Hebrews chapter 12. Well, last time we were in Hebrews, we were in Hebrews 11. We finished that great chapter, and we learned about the great heroes of the faith. Some of the great ones, like Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, just to name a few names. And, of course, there's more. Why is God giving you the great hall of faith there in Hebrews 11? There's a purpose for that. The goal of Hebrews 11, by the way, it wasn't just to fill your head with knowledge. It wasn't just a mere history lesson. But God wanted to exhort His people through that passage. And this is why here in chapter 12, it actually starts with a very key word. It's the word, therefore. Of course, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to ask what it's there for, right? Beat the dead horse here. So it's pointing back to Hebrews chapter 11. Therefore demands that we deal with the implications of what we have learned there in chapter 11 and and apply those lessons of faith to our own lives. So with that reminder there, let's start in Hebrews 12 verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So the proposition from those three verses today is this, my friends, that God wants you to faithfully run your spiritual race. God has a race for you to run. He wants you to run with faithfulness to endure in that spiritual race. And the key phrase, by the way, key phrase I'm drawing from that God wants us to kind of center everything on here is that phrase, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I don't think any of us are endurance runners, long-distance runners. So, take heed to this text, because this text is going to give us six habits of endurance runners. (laughs) Okay? Six habits of endurance runners from this text. Number one, God says, look to the heroes. That's the first habit of an endurance runner. I know, you didn't expect that, right? Look to the heroes. That's what verse 1 is telling us. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and by the way, that cloud of witnesses there is referring to the heroes of the faith that were presented to us in chapter 11. So Hebrews is telling us that the, the, uh, the metaphorical stands, if you will, are filled with the saints of old. By the way, these are not spectators. Uh, there are some people who like to preach this like, like the Old Testament saints like Moses and Abraham are like, they're sitting up in the grandstands watching you. I don't think that's the point. 
we're to pay attention to their testimony. They're not watching you. We're supposed to look to them. <laughs> pay attention to their testimonies, God's saying. He, he's saying, take heed to the encouragement that they give us. Abel reminds us of the true sacrifice we are to trust. Noah cries out that the world is condemned, but the good news is there's an ark of salvation. Abraham cheers out for all who hope for promises yet unfilled. And Moses shouts out to those who must forfeit status and favor in this world, riches and rank, in order to follow Jesus. See, they're there kind of like, if you kind of think of them as a a memorial for us. We can look at them, kind of the the great heroes of the, the great race. They finished their race, and we can look to them and learn much from them. And so their presence, in a way, gives us a home field advantage for our own race if we'll only look at them and learn from them. If we would see them there by faith, we would hear their cries, and we'll look to them as our heroes, then we can learn from them. They should be encouraging to us to keep running with endurance. So that's the first habit of an endurance runner in the spiritual race. Look to those who've gone before you, who've won the prize. They finished their race. Number two is, the the second habit of an endurance runner here is you lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight. That's what the text tells us to do. It's not in the imperative, but as it's it's surrounding the uh, that that phrase, let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us, you get an idea, well, how how do I do that? Well, you lay aside every weight. And if you've ever done any running whatsoever, you know one of the greatest problems runners face is weight. And that's why runners train and they, they, they diet. <laughs> right? Uh, the ones who take it really seriously and, and do it for a living, they're, they're fanatical about their training and diet, aren't they? And have you ever noticed the ones who win the race are never fat? They're not overweight, and in fact, you, you, you know, most of them seem to come from Africa, like, right, you know, Ethiopia, Nigeria, you know, these tall, really skinny guys, right? Uh, a lot of, it seems like that's the way a lot of them are. And they're not wearing much clothing either, are they? Very lightweight clothing. It reminds me of the time, one, one of the first times I did, uh, did park run a couple years ago. Park run goes around Hamilton Lake, we do, do five kilometers. The first time we were there was a cold day, so I was wearing big, heavy clothing. And I remember one guy who was really serious. He's really serious about his running. In fact, he's so serious, after he does the five kilometers and I'm laying on the ground dying, he goes around and runs around again. He doesn't get enough. Five kilometers is nothing for him. I mean, this guy does over 50 kilometers every week. But anyway, so he's like, you know, you, you could run a lot better if you just take off those heavy, that heavy clothing you're wearing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate that help. And that's one of the problems that, that, that all runners face, laying aside every weight. Did you know in the ancient Greek games that a runner trained to make his body lean, a fast-running machine? And before the race actually began, he would actually strip off his long garments and would run completely naked. By the way, God is not suggesting you do that in the spiritual race. Uh, please don't take that literally. That is figuratively. 
And, and by the way, the Greek word here for wait may be used in both of those ways. It, it can be used of excess body weight as well as weighty garments. Both those things can cause someone to run slowly. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that anything that slows us down has to be discarded if you are to run well. And this exhortation helps us with all sorts of decisions about our lives then, doesn't it? There's some huge implications here. And some people will say, well, you know, if you talk about something in your life, they might say, well, it's not technically a sin, so it must be all right for me. But notice what we read here. We, we, we read that anything that weighs us down, and that's anything that hinders us in our spiritual progress, should be discarded. Perhaps it involves a lifestyle issue. For example, or, or for instance, many Christians today have bought into the entertainment culture. Uh, some give vast hours to mindless television or unwholesome literature, uh, objectionable movies, just to name a few things. We ought to be asking ourselves, hey, is this helpful or is this a hindrance to me spiritually? Is it a weight? Hindrances can be other things. They could be career ambitions for some of you, uh, maybe a hobby, maybe an association of some kind, a friendship, habits, preoccupations. It could be a number of things, okay? Any of these may or may not be a problem and may not be a sin in and of themselves, but they, they can vary, by the way, from person to person. So you've got to be careful you don't be too judgmental here. Uh, just because someone does something doesn't mean you have to do it, or somebody doesn't do something doesn't mean you don't have to do it uh, when it comes to a weight. Now, any of the, they, they, they may or may not be a problem, and they can vary. But each of us should look at these things in our lives and, and at least ask the question, is it a help or is it a hindrance? Is it a weight? If it's a weight, then, of course, the wise believer is going to let that hindrance go because he or she doesn't want to be weighted down in the race. That's what endurance runners do. They make themselves as light as possible. They shed the weight. Uh, the third habit of an endurance runner is they lay aside sin. If you want to be an endurance runner, you have to lay aside sin. And it's interesting, in the original language of Greek, this is there, there's actually a definite article here, and it's the sin, which I found interesting. So if you have a really cool app like this gentleman here has, you could even look it up on your phone right now like he's doing and see the word the is actually in the Greek. Now, what, what particular sin is the, is the author referring to? Well, if you take in the greater context here, it... it to me, I think it's the sin of unbelief. Uh, the, the, great, the great sin that, that's being dealt with here must be unbelief. Because we've been called to this life of faith in chapter 11, right? Uh, the, the Hebrews were, were tempted to go back into Judaism, getting sucked into that, that old life. Uh, unbelief would, get, would cause them to be sucked into that, and God's saying, no, 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 no don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Lay aside sin, the sin. By the way, sin is, is far more serious here than the previous habit of laying aside the weight. See, weights 
weigh us down. But notice what the sin does. The sin actually entangles our feet. Imagine, imagine uh, a, a, a runner running with a long garment on. They can still run, right? But here we have somebody who's getting tripped up. They're falling and, and could probably hurt themselves. It's bringing the person down to the ground. They're not going to win the race. But notice how the writer puts it here. It's sin which clings so closely. And the point is that sin entangles us. We take sin lightly at our great peril, by the way, to our great peril. See, sin is deceitful, the Bible says, and it's able to lead us off the path even, uh, just like what happened to Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress. He got in trouble several times when he got off the path. I remember the, one of my favorite times when Christian got he got he got off the path and he got he he got captured by giant despair and he's thrown in Doubting Castle right and, and at one point he's even thinking about committing suicide until he remembers he had the key of promise helped him escape Doubting Castle get away from giant despair get back on the path head toward the celestial city that's what sin can do it can lead us off the path and so we have to be wise regarding sin. We need to seek grace from God to be free from those actual sins that we know about and then shun temptation to sin. Let me give you an example. Think about how quickly and thoroughly a great man like King David fell into sin. The Bible describes David, by the way, as a man after God's own heart. So this can happen to any one of us. We all struggle or have struggled at some point at least with lust. But here, here's a man who allowed his heart to lust after a woman, and he became entangled. The, the sin encroached around him and, and clung closely and tripped him up, so to speak. He became entangled. And what a horrible impact that sin had on his life as well as people around him. His whole family was affected. In fact, the entire nation of Israel was entangled with his sin. He was running brilliantly, though. A lot of the Psalms were written by David, and they're a blessing to us. But as, also, as also, almost no one had run before like David, but we see sin entangled him and took him down. He was never really the same after that. The sexual sin and pride, by the way, continues to entangle the feet of the runners. It entangles us. And what do we do then? Let us flee temptation and oppose all sin. Sin is the agent of death in our world. It's the master of untold slaves. It is, it is never profitable. And the pleasures of it are, are, are offered to us and they're, and they're unwise. They're all filled with deadly poison. Don't be deceived. By the way, if you ever want to read a good book, uh, one of my children recommends uh, Frank Peretti's book called The Oath. I think it's an allegory of this very thing. If you want to read an interesting allegory or uh, fictional style book that deals with the subject. But my friends, please understand, even true believers whose, whose debts have been paid by the blood of the Lamb can scarcely afford sin. You can't. We are running a race, and you're to run with endurance. You have a course that's been marked out for you by God, and uh, unless we actively 
shun sin, you're going to be quickly distracted. You're going to be entangled by that sin. So if you want to be an endurance runner, you need to shed the sin. And number four, the fourth habit of an endurance runner is that uh, you're, you're to run this race that God has planned for you. God has planned a particular race for you. And it's interesting, for those of you who love Greek, there in verse 1, when it, when it says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and then that phrase, let us run with endurance. Let us run with endurance is a present active subjunctive verb. Very interesting. So what does that mean? Well, num- number one, you must run the race. Okay? You, you, you can't point to somebody else who, and, and think, well, you know, they would do a better job than me. So, hey, uh, w- would you mind running for me? You know, I haven't trained properly, and, uh, you know, I've been eating too much junk food, and, and uh, you know, I'm, you know I'm, I just, no, I wouldn't do well. So would you mind doing it for me? You can't do that. It's active. You have to do it. Nobody else can run the race for you. <laughs> the other thing is, it's, it's present tense. So that means you have to continually run and keep running for your whole life. Keep running. Don't give up. The other thing is, you have to treat this race like a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> okay? It's not a sprint. It's not a hundred meter just dash, right? And, you know, quickly over with and, well, nowadays, what? They're doing it like nine seconds approximately, right? No, this this is a marathon. And so you have to act accordingly, right? The, you know, a Usain Bolt, you know, he goes as fast as he can for those nine seconds and then it's done. Well, imagine what would happen to Usain Bolt if he did a marathon and tried to treat it the same way. Not going to work. Everybody's going to end up... Everybody, including me, would probably end up passing him shortly. Which reminds me of that that old story of the tortoise and the hare, right? Who wins the race? The tortoise won the race. Why? Uh, Even though the hare's faster, but it doesn't win the race. So you have to treat it like a marathon. it's, It's long distance. You have to be in it for that long distance. By the way, don't try to run someone else's race. (laughs) You have to run your race. And you have to believe that God has a special plan for your life. I know that gets gets, um, all airy-fairy sometimes, but God really does have a special plan for your life. In other words, He has a particular course and race for you to run. And it's it's unique. It's different. Right? So, so, So don't look at me and say, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just follow, you know, Pastor Scott's uh, footsteps here and do exactly what he's doing. Please don't do that. Uh, God has something designed for you, a race that God has planned for you. And so the competition of the Christian life is different from that of an athletic race in at least two ways, by the way. First, we're not to compete against other Christians. Your competition is not another Christian, Okay. You're not trying to outdo each other. That is, please don't do that. That is not the point here. Ours is not a race of works. It's a race of faith. We compete by faith, but not with each other. Who are our enemies? Or our competition, if you will. Your, your, your competition is Satan, this, 
this world system and your own sin nature primarily. The other thing to keep in mind here is our strength is not in ourselves. It's in the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you you could never endure the spiritual race of life. Never. So you're not called on to endure in in yourself, but you're called to endure in God. It's the only way you'll make it. So that's the, the fourth habit of an endurance runner. You run the race God planned for you. But now we come to verse 2 and we see the fifth habit of the endurance runner is to look to Jesus. It's a participle. That's why it ends in ing, looking to Jesus. It tells us how to run with endurance, the race set before us. So you're looking to Jesus. And by the way, in running, uh, I've done a little bit. I don't know everything, certainly. But in running, I do know this, that where you look is extremely important. Nothing is going to throw off a runner's stride or, or slow them down by, by you know, things, doing things like looking at your feet or you know, waving at your mother in the crowd, right? Hey, hi, Mom. Yeah, or uh, you know, some, guy, some guy's running around. He's looking at all the competition, right? But don't we tend to do that sometimes in the Christian life? It's distracting. Not a good thing. We're to be looking... To Jesus, it says. And so the Christian race is very much like that. though. And that's why God tells us where we are to look. We we can be easily distracted. Looking to Jesus here is the so-called secret of the Christian life. It's the encouragement that you need for your faith. So please don't look to the world. The world's going to entangle you in its enticements and its threats. Don't look to the world with those enticements and threats. Don't look to yourself either, by the way, your successes or your failures. Instead, look on Jesus, who is the source and the fountain of all your spiritual strength. I love the way John Owen, way back in the 1600s, amazing guy, brilliant, he says this, quote, A constant view of the glory of Christ will revive our souls and cause our spiritual lives to flourish and thrive. The more we behold the glory of Christ by faith now, the more spiritual and the more heavenly will be the state of our souls. The reason why the spiritual life in our souls decays and withers is because we fill our minds full of other things. But when the mind is filled with the thoughts of Christ and His glory, these things will be expelled. This is how our spiritual life is revived, end quote. So, as he's commenting on on Hebrews here, he's saying, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And I'm glad the text elaborates on this, because some of you might be thinking, okay, look to Jesus. How How do I do that? Why would I do that? What's the proper motivation for doing that? And these are all great questions. So, how does Jesus actually encourage you and me to be an endurance runner, to keep running the Christian life. Well, there's three ways the text tells us to do this. Number one, Jesus encourages us to keep running here because He is the example for our faith. He's the example for our faith. In fact, He's the premier example, the superior example. And isn't that the whole point of Hebrews? Jesus is superior. He's the best in every way. And by the way, you notice that 
it says they're looking to Jesus. Well, okay, who is he? He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's who he is. And that word founder means that he is a, a forerunner. He is a pioneer. It's describing somebody who goes ahead and, and blazes the trail for us, and he's the one who's overcoming those barriers for us. A, a similar word there in your text is that word perfecter. Perfecter means Jesus is the supreme and perfect example of faith. You can't get a better example of faith. And it's interesting, again, the, uh, the Greek text has a definite article there. It is the faith, by the way. Not just our faith. It is, he's, it's talking specifically about the faith. So he is the founder and perfecter of the faith. There is no other faith. There is only one way. And it's noteworthy that this verse focuses here on the ordeal of the cross, where Jesus' faith in God was put to the greatest test. It was given the most brilliant display of faith that could possibly be seen. It's interesting, the religious authorities of Israel in Jesus' day, when when Jesus was on the cross, the Bible says, they said, He trusts in God. That's an interesting statement from unbelievers. He trusts in God. They were actually mocking him when they said that. But it was actually true. He was on the cross trusting in God. And so by faith, Jesus pleased God. Just as we we see Enoch did in chapter 11. And like Abraham, Jesus looked forward to the city to come. And by faith, he was willing to make that supreme sacrifice. And by faith, Jesus, just like Moses, he... He set aside the earthly glory. He could have been numbered among all sorts of things, but he chose to number himself among the the afflicted people of God. He became their deliverer. By faith, Jesus made the sacrifice that Abel's faith presented. We have great heroes uh, in the Old Testament, and, and if those heroes of the Old Testament are lights testifying to faith in God... Well, Jesus is on the cross, and He's the blazing sun. Wow, look to Him, my friends. That's the most dazzling expression of faith you can imagine. Jesus endured both suffering and shame on the cross. Isn't it interesting? You know, there in verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. He endured suffering and shame. And it was by faith that Jesus endured. He persevered. He ended His mission. He had an appointed mission and He completed that mission. And thus He entered into glory. He is now in heaven. He is alive. And that's why you have those beautiful words there. Where is He now? He is seated at the right hand of God. That's where He is. He's in heaven. He's faithfully endured. He suffered. But he didn't fear the world's contempt. And so this is a wonderful example for us. We need to bear the cross in our own lives as well. Look what uh, Peter says. Peter endured a cross. But before he did that, though, he said in 1 Peter 2.21, To this you have been called. Sit up. Take notice. You have a mission. 
Here it is, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. So Jesus is our example in many ways. He endured. He experienced shame and suffering. But He's also an example in spiritual joy. Because look what the text says. For the joy that was set before Him, that's how He endured the cross. And that's an amazing statement, and it says a lot about Jesus' faith. See, we may conceive of Jesus' joy before the cross in all kinds of ways. Uh, First of all, Jesus took joy in doing the Father's will. He said so. In John chapter 4, verse 34, He says, My food, here it is, next verse, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. For Jesus, that was the essential. That was essential. Just like physically eating food is essential. What was essential to Jesus spiritually? Doing God's will. Jesus also looked forward to the the future reunion with His Father in heaven. He, He was looking forward to receiving His delight with the greatest of joy. He rejoiced. At, at some things here. You say, well, well, where's this joy coming from? What, what is it that he's looking forward to? Well, he rejoiced at the knowledge of what all of that suffering and death would accomplish. Namely, the redemption of a people for himself. In short, Jesus rejoiced when he saw the, the reward, what was going to come in the future, the future grace, if you will. That was beyond the cross. And so he saw the what was going to be purchased with his blood, with his sacrifice, and he is filled with joy. What did he see, my friends? He saw his future bride. He saw his future bride, and that brought him great joy. And, and so James chapter 1, verse 2 says this. Look at this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You say, what? What? Okay, hold on a second. Count it all joy. It doesn't say when I meet all kinds of good and yummy and glorious things in my life. No, count it joy when I meet trials of various kinds. How am I going to do that? Look what it says. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's how you endure. Because you, you, you see the end result. By faith, you see the end result. You say, okay, all right, so I'm, I'm to look to Jesus. Who's Jesus? Why should I do this? Well, number two, Jesus is the object of our faith. Not only is He your example, He's your object. See, G- think of it this way. Jesus is at the finish line waiting for you. <laughs> and it's to Him and for Him that we are to run. So we endure and we persevere because we want to know Him, we want to join Him, and we want to share the blessings of His salvation. It's all about Him. And so this again explains why the cross is emphasized here, my friends, because the cross is not only the greatest example of Jesus' faith, but it's also the focus of our faith in Him. It's the focus. We see His blood shed for our forgiveness. We see the wrath of God spent on Jesus. We see 
a lot of things, but we also find our safety there. And so to be a Christian then, it means that you're relying upon the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. You're, you're relying on, upon His finished work for your salvation. And, and you're holding this gospel as the greatest treasure of your heart. Henceforth, we want to be faithful to Him then, if you actually believe those things. If those things, if Jesus is your greatest treasure, then you're going to endure. You're going to run faithfully. We desire to please and to serve Jesus, and we would endure to the end if we believed these things. If they were a reality, we would keep looking to Jesus. So hopefully you desire to please and serve Him. Hopefully you desire to endure to the end. Look what the Apostle Paul says of his own ambition. It's very interesting. Philippians chapter 3, an amazing passage. Here's Paul's ambition. He says in Philippians 3, I press on. Notice the running language here. I'm pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. One thing I do. One thing I do. If there's one thing an endurance runner should do. Here it is. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There you go. That's 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 the runner's advice for you. It may remind you, he is someone, according to 2 Timothy chapter 4, who did finish his race. He was faithful. He finished his race. He ran well. So it would be very wise for you to take heed to those words. And so what do we do here, my friends? We, we fix our eyes on Jesus because He is, number one, the example of our faith, and number two, the object of our faith. And then last, why, why should I keep looking at Jesus? Because Jesus is the source of our faith. Jesus is the source of our faith. So it's in this sense here that the, this wonderful translation says that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. And so that has real merit. See, Jesus is not just merely a good teacher or a wonderful example. He's not just some long-dead hero of the past. (laughs) Oh, no. He's not just the object of our faith, or He's not just some mere philosophical idea out there in uh, Wonderland somewhere. No, no, no. He's an active recipient of, of our faith. He's, he's active in inspiring our faith. He's active in empowering our faith. Why? Because He lives. Where is He? What does the text say? He is at the Father's right hand. He is there at the throne of God. <laughs> he's not dead. So faith in Christ then produces this union with our living Lord who is alive and well and reigning in the heavens. And And so the appropriate result, response is, we fix our eyes on Him. He works in us by His power. He sends us the Holy Spirit to sustain us through all of the trials and the sufferings of life so that you can endure. So my friend, let me ask you. Some of us are better runners than others. Physically, that's true. And spiritually, true. So let me ask you, how are you doing in the race? Your spiritual race. How are you doing? I think some of you are a little tired, aren't you? 
Some of you have grown a little weary. This marathon is really, really long, and I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. It's, it's out there, maybe. I'm hoping to make it. Are you weary? Are you, are you one of those people who's thinking of giving up? Are you like some of the Hebrews, obviously, thinking of giving up? Well, my friends, when you get weary in the race, when your faith is tempted to fail, when you're when the, when the gas is going out of your tank, right, <laughs> and you feel like you're going to run out of gas, and you think that maybe God has somehow turned His back on you, and when it seems uh, it's just never going to end and I'm not going to make it, and my life is a mess, the world is a mess, and I'm sure my faith can't hold on any longer. You know, I've come to the end of my rope, I've tied the knot around my wrist, and I'm just ready to fall off. If that's you, you need to look at verse 3. Because there's one more habit of an endurance runner. Because verse 3 is actually in the context, even though my Bible and probably your Bible puts a paragraph division between verse 2 and 3. Remember, though, not inspired. Because you need to look at verse 3. Because, my friends, it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, I know that might sound a lot like verse 2, right? Consider him, you know, sounds kind of similar to looking to Jesus. (laughs) But, it, but it's not the same Greek word, and it's, and it's not even in the same voice, tense, and mood. Um, if you, those of you who are interested in this sort of thing, this is actually an aorist middle imperative. Imperative just means it's a command, it's not an option. Uh, middle voice is interesting. It means that here, here the subject is actually being affected by its own action or is, is acting upon itself sometimes. That can happen. So here's the point, my friends. Sometimes... Sometimes Christians grow weary. Sometimes we become downcast, like Psalm 42. Sometimes we get depressed. Sometimes we're in despair. And so if you feel this way, um, you're not unique. You're not exceptional. Okay? Everybody gets to that point at some point in their life. Okay? So you're not exceptional in that way. And so, my friends, please understand, this is something you should expect especially when we're faced with a prolonged difficulty and you have a prolonged trial in your life, it's very easy for our mood and our attitude to change. Just like you did for godly Job. Right? Read read through the book of Job. Job. Job starts off well, doesn't he? He's amazing. All ten of his children die. He loses everything except his nagging wife. It's like Satan leaves him there just for, you know, that's like the worst punishment of all. I don't know. Anyway, God said he couldn't touch her, obviously. And so his life's falling apart, and he, he, he's sitting in, in sackcloth and ashes. He's scraping these horrible boils off his body, and then, and then, and then his, you know, all he has is three friends, and, and they just come and sit quietly for many days. And then when they finally do speak, they're not real helpful. They give some good theology and some bad theology, like a lot of our friends do. And so, and so eventually his mood starts changing, and he starts thinking about suicide. It would have been better that I, that I wasn't even born. And he gets a bad attitude, and he starts sinning against God. 
until God reminds him of who he is and what he's done. And then he repents. I close my mouth. <laughs> Shut my mouth. I shouldn't have said all those things. That, we do the same thing, right? When the trials and sufferings of life keep going on and on and on, it's really hard to, to be blameless, to be godly. <laughs> Even the strongest Christians can experience spiritual depression. You should expect that. And so the cure for that here, my friends, is what? The command, consider Jesus. Consider His struggle. Consider how He lived in this world, and, and, and there was much opposition to Him, but He endured. He was faithful. Now again, I, I know that might sound very similar to the exhortation you saw over there in verse 2, to, to fix your eyes on Jesus. But in verse 3 here, you actually have a different emphasis. Let me try to explain the difference. See, the, the word consider here means you look intently. Have you ever looked intently at something? See, in, in verse 2, you're to look to Jesus, right? It, it's like you've, you've looked at something. It's, it's like you wives, you tell your husband to go find something in the refrigerator. And he said, I'd look, but I don't see it. That happens to all of us, doesn't it? Surely, surely. I'm not the only one who does that. Your, your eyeballs looked right at it, but somehow you didn't see it. And sometimes we do that with Jesus. I've, I've seen him, but it's not really sinking in. But verse 3 is telling you to do more than that. It's saying, look intently, keep looking, keep looking intently. That's the idea. It's actually an accounting term that's related to our English word logistics. And so when, whenever we speak of logging something in, what, what do we mean by that? We, we mean that, that a record needs to be kept of what has happened, what's transpired. So you, you, you log in, you put the details in. That's, and so the point here, my friend, is that you need to meditate on, reflect on Jesus. And that's why I didn't just write consider Jesus in your notes. The sixth habit is you need to meditate on Jesus. So it's more than just looking. You you gotta you gotta concentrate, look intently, keep looking. Don't take your eyes off. Take stock of Jesus' life and death as it relates to your own struggles. And then especially remember how God ordained his suffering. And, and by the way, why did God do that? The, the same reason God does everything in your life too, by the way, it's for his glory and your good. And so, my friend. The cure for a weary, tired runner is to meditate on Jesus. You say, okay, that's, that's great, Pastor Scott. How do I meditate on Jesus? He's not here. How can I meditate on Jesus? Well, <clears throat> glad you asked that question. Because I know I'm going to get that afterward if I don't answer that. So here you go, my friends. You consult the Scriptures. God's given you a Bible that, that talks about Jesus. It, it talks about His, His birth. Where did He, who was He before His incarnation? What's He like now? What happened during that time when He was on earth, right? Read the Gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have four of them from four different men, different perspectives. How helpful is that? And so there you get to learn what Jesus said, what He taught, what He did how God delivered him, 
And then it gets even, it gets, well, I think it's even better. Then you get, you move on to the epistles, which are explaining the significance of Jesus' life, death, and his ministry, and what was the point of his resurrection, and all that good stuff. And so, and then if you, you think, well, I'd like some more, well then, go to the Old Testament. But the Old Testament doesn't talk about Jesus, does it? Wrong. Read Luke chapter 24. Jesus says it's all about him. <laughs> it's all about him. So go to the Old Testament. You can see Christ prophesied. You can see how he's represented there in all kinds of various types and symbols. and He's, he's everywhere if you're looking with the proper glasses. And so my friends, you say, how, how do I consider Jesus? How do I meditate on Jesus? Well, God's given you the greatest means that he knows. And because God is good, that means it's the best. In, in the Bible, you will be able to consider Jesus. And so, I ask you, my friend, where is your hope? God wants to give you hope. God wants you to be a faithful, enduring runner. And so, hopefully, your hope is in Jesus. There's a wonderful hymn in our hymn book that goes like this. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me and paid the price of all my sin at Calvary. For me he died, for me he lives, and everlasting life and light He freely gives. That's where my hope is. And that's the only way I can endure in this race. It's the only way you can endure in the race. Is it any wonder so many unsaved people are not even in the race, trying to run the race their way, quitting, committing suicide, taking drugs, jumping off cliffs, whatever it is, they're trying to cope in their way, and they can't. So my friend, if you're an unbeliever, you're not even in the race. You need to get in the race. You need to know this Jesus, and that's the only way you get in the race, and then once you're in the race, you keep looking at Jesus, you keep meditating on Jesus, so you can finish the race and be with this Jesus who is in the heavens at the throne of God. That's how you do it. <laughs> and so if you want to live this way, with this kind of joy and this kind of power in your life, then you have to fix your eyes on Jesus. You don't look at the world. You don't look at yourself. You don't follow your heart. You consider how great a Savior Jesus really is. That's your hope. That's the solution. May God enable you to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this good news. We're thankful you have given us, those of us who are Christians, believers in you, you've given us all a spiritual race to run, so may we run faithfully with endurance. Forgive us when we are tempted to quit, do it our way, stop running, get off the path, get distracted. Forgive us of the sin that clings so closely. May you identify that sin in our lives. And may we deal with it in a way that's pleasing to you.
May we be such faithful Christians, faithful runners, enduring runners, that we even deal with the weights. Would you identify those weights in our life that that weigh us down, that hinder us in the race? So, would your Holy Spirit illuminate us, capture our hearts, enable our wills to obey you and please you and Jesus' name we pray. Amen.